You know, there's something about when God's people gather together, amazing things happen. Now, I'm, I'm not actually talking about when we gather together to watch the Super Bowl. That's not what I'm talking about. But, you know, things can break out even there when Christians gather. That is, if they'll be radically honest with one another at some point about something that's going on in their life. But I'm talking about when we intentionally gather together around the things of Jesus, amazing things happen. You know, we, we, we've said it already a few times, you know, you can be an individual believer, but you cannot be an individual church. Church takes people gathering together. You know, we know that just by the definition of the word church. And I'm gonna take you through a couple of definitions. Vine's Dictionary, many of you have used that before. Uh, breaks out synonyms and, uh, you know, in words. It really says that the word church is made up of two Greek words that's a compound word. The first one is ek, out of, klesia, to call. Ekklesia is the Greek word for church. It means to call out of something. Now, as we further understand Thayer, another Greek dictionary, um, helps us see what, what we're called out of. But let me say this so you understand the word well. This word ecclesia was used in the Greek political world for hundreds of years before the Christian era. So it helps us understand from a secular usage basically how, what it means in the religious usage of the church. You following me? So it really meant a gathering of citizens called out from their homes into some public place, an assembly. So this was really a word that was used long before the church was born to call people out from their homes to a public place to assemble together for something in that regards. Our next definition comes from a... Uh, Lonita is the, the name of the dictionary. It's one of my favorite. They really do a good job of breaking out words. They say it's an assembly of persons constituted by a well-defined membership. When it comes to the New Testament church, that, that's just the general use. Again, that could be political. Um, it could be the social club. You know, it's, they're all being called out from someplace to gather together an assembly of a well-defined membership. In the New Testament, it's used of a gathering of believers. And it implies that they're interacting with each other. We'll talk more about that this morning. This isn't just gathering together like a ball game and don't even know who the person is that sits next to me. But it's a gathering together where there's an interaction going on. And now you're going to get the PBP uh, definition. That's the Patrick Bernard Peglow. You can call me Bernie if you want, that's fine. This is what it means. When we come out from our normal routines and places of life and gather together with other Christians to interact together around the things of Jesus. See, when you put together the Greek word and all these definitions, uh, when you summarize that, we're being called out of our normal places and routines of life 
to gather together with other believers in Jesus to interact together around the things of Jesus. That's the church. And that's what we want to talk about this morning. Because we learned last week, and Josh, thank you for reminding us with this whole series about, you know, we learned last week that the church is vital to the program of God. It's vital because we're the chosen vehicle that God chooses in this day and age to fulfill his mission on earth and to express the life of Jesus to each other and to the world around us. But we also learned that the church is revitalizing to each one of us personally when we interact with the spiritual gifts that we have with one another and the ministry of the one another's to each other. So as we're in this series, what we're seeking, as Josh said, we've had a couple years of craziness that's put everything on hold and turned everything upside down. We're seeking to go back and say, what is the kingdom normal? Now, what's the new normal? What was the old normal? No, what's the eternal normal, the kingdom normal that God has that we learned about in the birth of the early church? And we want to get back to that kind, be that kind of church, and then we'll be a vital church in the southwest portion of Chicago, and we will be revitalizing to each other and to everybody we touch. And this morning, we're going to focus on this kingdom norm of the church. They gathered together regularly, both in larger context and in smaller context, to interact around the things of God. That's where we're going this morning. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 2. That's where we're going to start. Now when we read the context of Acts chapter 1 and chapter 2, we learn that uh, there were a hundred, after Jesus ascended to heaven, they came back and those that uh, believed in Christ had gathered together, 120 of them in an upper room, and they devoted themselves to prayer. So they were persisting in prayer. Then we read in verse uh, one of Acts two that they were together again, and uh, this was like 40 days after Jesus ascended to heaven. They were together again in one place, they were praying together again, and something happened. The church of Jesus Christ was born in that prayer meeting. And every believer there was filled with the Holy Spirit of God, as the Spirit of God came in and dwelt inside of them. And as the day went on and they explained what had happened to those that were in the area, 3,000 other people believed that day. And they turned to Jesus Christ. And they as well were indwelt by the Spirit of God. And it's out of that context then we come to Acts 2.42 and we begin to see from verse 42 to 47 what their normal life was like as an early church. And as we said, this is like the newborn baby. You don't teach them you're supposed to cry, you're supposed to breathe, you're supposed to move. They just do that. That's signs of life. And we're going back to the early things of the church. Nobody said, well, you guys got to do this, you got to do that. They certainly were reinforced as time went on. 
But naturally, right from the beginning of the church, we see what took place. And we see in verse 42 in particular, four things that they devoted themselves to. Four things that they built their entire lives around. Four things they persisted in and refused to let anything stop them from continuing in it. So listen as I read verse 42. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teachings and to fellowship. Fellowship is their partnership of relationship with one another. To the breaking of bread, that's communion, so that they remember constantly Jesus and what he did for them, and to prayer. And then as we read down in the rest of this section, we see what happened to this church and how they operated together in those months to follow as they devoted themselves to the teaching of God's word, to one another, to prayer and to communion. And I want you to look specifically down to verse 44. And all those who had believed were together. That's where it starts. <laughs> I don't know what more to say. They were together. And it all started that the believers, as they knew Jesus, and I guess when you're committed in partnership with one another, you can't help but be together, right? You can't help but spend some time together. If you're in a partnership, and you know that in a business, if you're a partner in a business, you and your partner better be talking, better be communicating, better be spending some time together. And as believers, they were together because they were devoted to one another. And then you uh, note that in verse 46, day by day, continually one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals day by day. You know, guys, this was an experience of a group of people. We remember we learned last week the church is not a building. It's not a program. It's the people of God, and it's the people of God gathered together. As the, you know, it's the complete corporate body of Christ. And what we see here is that this was not a once-a-week experience for 90 minutes on a Sunday morning. Their experience as a church was a day-by-day experience. And they met together in two different places. If you look back in verse 46, day-by-day, they were in the temple. And day-by-day, after leaving the temple in the large gathering, they got into smaller gatherings in their homes where they took communion and they ate their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. Now next week, we're gonna pick up on the idea of what it looks like to be a people of sincerity of heart with one another. Uh, But today, the point I wanna make is the fact that they gathered together in the temple, and as we read Acts, what happened in the temple? The apostles were teaching in the temple. They were devoted to the apostles' teachings. Where they get it? They got it at the temple. And at the temple, they also went to pray. 
So they were in sessions of teaching and prayer when they were at the temple and when they were in the homes according to this passage. We see that they were taking communion together and they were eating together, sharing their lives with one another. That's what the early church was doing. As we go into Acts and we see what did they do when they gathered together, whether it be large or whether it be in smaller gatherings, they would pray together. Uh, and by the way, if you get the notes, I put the verses next to the notes where you can see this if you want to look it up for yourself. But they were praying together. They were hearing ministry and missions reports as they were together. They were hearing decisions that were made by the leadership. They were in, taking communion together and they were hearing God's word taught together. This is, they were gathered around the things of Jesus, <laughs> both in large contexts and in small contexts. This was the norm for the early church, to meet in large contexts day by day, regularly, to meet in small contexts day by day, regularly, to interact around the things of Jesus. And bottom line, Moraine Valley Church, when we get back to that norm, where we interact with one another around the things of Jesus in both a large context and a small context on a regular basis, Moraine Valley will be a vital church in this community <laughs> because God will carry out his mission through us and he will express the life of Jesus through us, but also we'll be revitalized and we'll revitalize the people God brings us in context with as the spiritual gifts, the expressions of Jesus, which are different through each one of us are expressed and we minister the one another's to each other. That's what the early church did. I want to give you one other passage that reinforces this and turn to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. Let me uh, give you the background of what was happening in Hebrews. Um, this was written Hebrews to a, a group of Jewish believers. And the concern was is, is that they were being drawn back into Judaism, the Jewish religion. And um, what would happen is there were actually some people pursuing them and some of them were tempted by that, and some were actually being sucked back into Judaism rather than the new time with walking with Jesus and Christianity. Well, what he does in this book is this. He shows the superiority of Jesus to every Old Testament saint you can run into, every Old Testament priest, you know, everything like this. He even said Jesus is infinitely superior to the angels. And so he starts this book by establishing the superiority of the person of Jesus Christ. Then he goes on and talks about how the new covenant, which Jesus inaugurated, was infinitely superior. And he just goes on and all, I just encourage you to read uh, Hebrews 5 through 10 over and over again this week to see this is just loaded 
on how the new covenant of Jesus is, in, is infinitely superior to the old covenant under Moses. Then he wraps up that discussion and a big part of the discussion through there by showing the superiority of Jesus' one-time sacrifice of himself to take away man's sins versus the repeated year-by-year blemish sacrifices which in no way took away sins, covered sins, and was really used as a reminder for them of their sins. Praise God that Jesus' heart for us is that we aren't reminded of our sins, we're reminded of our forgiveness. <laughs> but the Old Testament sacrifice was designed to continue to remind them of their sins. And so as he does this all the way up to chapter 10, then we find him coming to the point in the book that he says that because of all of this now, we can enter into the presence of God through the blood of Jesus Christ. You see, the old covenant, they went into the temple, which was a replica of God in heaven. And now he's saying, we, we, don't, we don't go into a replica, a shadow. We actually go into the actual presence of God through the blood of Jesus Christ. And then he gives three exhortations that come out of that here in Hebrews chapter 10. If you're there, um, I did tell you to turn there, didn't I? Hopefully you're there. Hebrews 10, 22, they, they all come under the let us. Here's the exhortation. So, okay, now that we can actually go into the presence of God because of this unbelievable sacrifice that Jesus did for us under the new covenant, First of all, let us draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. The first let us is to, is to come to God in prayer with full confidence <laughs> because of the blood of Jesus, because he's cleansed us. We can now do that. The second let us, in verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope. And by the way, in the context of Hebrew, if you trace out hope, you're going to find the hope that they had was the hope of the return of Jesus. And so he's saying here is this, hold on fast to that hope you have of the return of Jesus Christ and do it without wavering for he who promised is faithful. Maybe you're starting to wonder, is he going to come back? I heard all these promises about him coming back. Don't waver in that he who promised he's going to return is faithful. He is going to return. And then in verse 24, here's the third one. Let us, to me, I got to be honest, these first two sound major, prayer and hope. And all of a sudden he says, let, let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Now he's talking about our relationship with one another in the body of Christ and uh, that we're interacting with one another in such a way that we stimulate each other. I stimulate you, you stimulate me, you stimulate them, them stimulate you, you know, all the way around. Stimulate one another to love and good deeds. And then he completes that thought in verse 25 and that's what I want to close the sermon on. He completes this thought of the third let us. 
not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Not forsaking, not abandoning. <laughs> Don't leave. Don't quit. Sound like these people because to, to forsake or abandon, you had to once be there. And you used to meet together with the assembly, but for some reason people were abandoning. They stopped coming. They left gathering together with other believers. And, and when we... When we hear that, we need to understand in the context that this gathering together with other believers in verse 24 says, they're stimulating one another. Stop abandoning these meetings where you're stimulating one another and interacting with each other in a way that uh, people would be stimulated to love and to good deeds. As I said earlier, some people see church kind of like as a 90-minute experience. Um, We come, we hear the word preached, we worship God, and uh, we're like sitting in the stands of a ball game. We walk in to a ball game, we got a ticket, don't know the name of the people in front of me, behind me. All I know is I come in, I sit in my seat, and then I cheer when my team does something I like. And we cheer by saying, amen, right? Gilbert, what does a real cheer sound like? You could be a cheerleader. Where's Gilbert, my man? There you go, brother. You know, and that's, that's what we do. Now, I haven't heard many of those from Gilbert, so he doesn't like what's happening right now as I'm speaking. But uh, anyhow, if you do like it, that's the way to do it. And um, so that's what we do. We come to the ball game called church. We sit in our seats. We have no interaction with the people next to us. We cheer when it's done, and then we leave. That's what a number of people, that's what their church experience is. I want to suggest some ways to possibly change that. I want to encourage you, and I think this is as biblical as it gets. We need to change our paradigm, the way we think about church. We think about two experiences when we come to church and we need to think about three to have a complete church experience. We think about, I worshiped this morning. I heard the word this morning. We say, that's it. I went to church. It's complete. But I believe biblically to be complete, there needs to be a third experience with the people of God where we interact with one another. And so in many ways, if you just come to the ball game and you cheer with your, how do you do it? Gilbert, can we hear it again? There we go. And if you sit there and you just cheer like that and leave without interacting with other believers in a significant way, you probably haven't experienced church this morning the way God designed it to be. The kind of church where amazing things happen. Let me tell you, you know, we're going to let go here in a little bit. There, you know, to complete church, you might start in your mind to think church is 15 minutes longer than I've always thought it was. Since I preach so short that you guys know you have that extra time. 
But if you start to think that when the amen and Josh sends us off, I've got 15 more minutes and now I'm gonna complete church because I'm gonna find somebody and I'm gonna interact with them around the things of Jesus. That's completing church. For I got, I got 18 copies of this book sitting here in a box that you can come up and take. But there's one requirement. If you take it, you have to read it and you have to apply it for one month. It's called How to Walk Into Church. It tells us in a very practical way how to experience church with other believers. In fact, one of the things I love here, he says, and this, would, this is probably convicting to most of us at Moraine, as you're walking in from the parking lot, ask God where he would want you to sit this morning because there may be somebody he wants you to encourage or stimulate in some way. Now, since we all sit in the same seats every week, including Kim and I, I guess we all need this book as a good starting place. Say, God, where would you place me today so I can bless somebody else? So we start to think differently about church. This whole book explains that. 18 free ones, take it, but you gotta read it and practice it for one month. I got a brother who, um, for, since before uh, we were interacting and I was talking to him about these things since before Christmas, I said, bro, I gotta challenge you, man. You know, you got some good stuff, but you got it in a very small circle here because you're not interacting with other people. Would you each week seek to meet one new person, spend some time with them, learn their name, more than shake their hand and go on? He's been doing it. I've been texting him, say, give me reports. Oh man, I met this person. I met, hey, it seemed like they really liked the fact that I know their name. I think they're even coming back now because somebody knows them. And so they're starting to practice this. Could you imagine Moraine Valley Church with me if every person in Moraine walked in the door and said, God, who am I here to bless today? And maybe part of that blessing is just listening and praying, giving them a hug, you know, whatever is the list. But guys, we need to experience church in a way that we're interacting with one another, not just in the stands hearing the word and worshiping. There's two other ways. There's small groups that we offer at Moraine Valley. They are wonderful things. Matter of fact, we have people who have worked very hard at creating material that can help you interact with God's word and interact with God and with one another through that. And, um, you know, if you join a small group at Moraine Valley Church, now you are in a context that's smaller with a group of people where I can live out these things. Or, you know what, it's fair. Guys, if you want to start your own group and it's not Moraine Valley's church, you know, the important thing is that you're interacting, not that you're ticking all the boxes for Moraine Valley, but that you've got another small group of people, maybe three to six or eight, that you say, we're going to do this thing where you're getting together and you're doing this. And let me encourage some of you that are at home. And again, there are some who are in the habit of being home for not good reasons that uh, need to reconsider being home but there's some that have valid reasons. I wanna encourage you to think about who are some neighbors you can invite in? <laughs> who are some other believers that you can trust in the area that you can say, we can meet during the week or on Sunday morning together and we can hear the word, we can worship and we can interact with one another. So guys, it is so important if we want to go back to the norm of the early church Church has got to be seen as a three-legged stool. 
not just worship, not just the word, but interacting with other believers for their blessing and for your blessing. And then he says this, not forsaking our own assembling together again in the context of what just came before. We just went through that. As is the habit of some. Some have gotten in the habit. It's just a habit. You know what? COVID knocked everything off. I used to assemble with other believers, but I don't do it anymore um, just because it's a new bad habit. Or I've bought into a new norm that says I can do church just by watching it at home. Again, if, you, if God's put you in a place where you need to do that, I encourage you to find some other people to do that with and make your home a base where you can connect in a different way. But there's people who have gotten into the habit of no longer meeting either in larger contexts or in smaller contexts with other believers. You know, it's interesting, before COVID, the typical Christian considered themselves as a faithful believer if they went to church twice a month. Those are the statistics out all over the place. But uh, I don't know who does that, but whoever does it, does it. And I've heard that repeated in many different contexts that Christians in their own mind feel like if I go to church twice a week, I'm being a real, or twice a month, I'm being a real good Christian. After COVID, now let's start with the twice a month level. <laughs> attendance, attendance in churches across the United States of America has dropped from 30 to 50%. Brothers and sisters, I think we can see in the United States of America and the Church of Jesus Christ, it's become the habit of many believers to not assemble together with their brothers and sisters. And many, not just in the large context, not even in a smaller context. And then he says this, but encouraging one another. Now it's important to understand that word but connects it to what goes before. He's not saying and encourage. So it isn't like get together and encourage one another. No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying not forsaking our own assembly together as they have some, but encouraging one another. This word is directly connected to the phrase that goes before. And he's saying this, encourage those who have stopped assembling to get back to assembling. That's what this passage is saying. We need to encourage those who have stopped meeting together in a larger context or in a smaller context, in a small group, whether it be a Moraine Valley small group or a small group of your own making with other brothers and sisters that you trust. We need to encourage one another. This isn't a matter of fact, this is a responsibility of us as the church to one another. It isn't a responsibility of the pastors and the elders to make sure they call people and say, are you coming? It's a responsibility of those of us that know somebody who has stopped meeting with others, either in a large context, small context, and encouraging them, brother and sister, you need to get back to this. And here's the reason why in this day, I love this number four. I call it number four because that's what it is in my notes. I guess it's the last part of the verse in your Bibles. <laughs> 
Not, a, not forsaking our own assembling together, that's number one, as is the habit of some, which is number two, but encouraging number, uh, number three is encouraging number four. All the more as you see the day drawing near. It's all the more important that we gather together as believers in Jesus Christ, whether it be in the large context or the small context, as we see the return of Jesus getting closer. Matter of fact, you, there, there's many people who know the Bible well at Moraine Valley Church. And you know your Bible well. You know the signs of his coming well. You read the paper and listen to the news and you say, I see the times are here. The day is drawing near. I hear it from believers all the time and I agree with it. The return of Jesus is close. But you know what a lot of believers do with it? They play what I call the Bible prophecy game. Who's the Antichrist? When's he going to come? Who's the new Roman Empire? What, what nations are going to make that up? And we start to almost like try to put together the prophecy puzzle to figure out when all this is going to happen and who are the players. You know what this tells me? This tells me that if I'm a Bible believer in Jesus and I know my Bible and I know those signs and, and I know that the day is drawing near, all the more I need to be gathering with other believers and I need to be encouraging other believers who aren't gathering together and I need to do it in a way where we're interacting with one another because we need each other because days get a lot tougher right before the return of Jesus. People are gonna be moving away from the truth and being, uh, teaching the doctrine of demons, even coming through places that we used to trust as faithful uh, churches and stuff. They're, they're, they're gonna teach, and I, by the way, I'm not one of those that gets real narrow, say you can't trust, there's a lot of good churches out there. So I'm not saying that. But you know what, there's, there, we, we gotta be discerning and we gotta listen. And we got to come back to this word as our gauge at all times. But brothers and sisters, if you're one who knows God's word and you know the signs and you know the day, our encouragement here is, is to gather together with other believers. And I love what Jesus says in Matthew 24. What am I supposed to do? You know, uh, not knowing the day, I'll tell you, you know what? do his will. Who's the, he says, who's the faithful servant? The one when he returns, find, he finds him doing exactly what he told him to do. And that particular servant had to be serving the tables. What's God's will for your life today? <laughs> With the return of Jesus drawing near, that's what Jesus said I want you to give attention to. Be faithful to be obedient to my will for your life. And most of that will, 99% of it's revealed right here in this book. And part of that is, is gathering together with other believers in the larger context, doing all three parts of church and in the smaller context with one another. So let me ask you, how you doing? How am I doing? <laughs> uh, I'm not the guy who's up here throwing out the stuff for you. I, I got to consider myself too. So I, I got some questions we can do a self-evaluation with. Give yourself a number, let, let, let's say between one and 10. 
you know, one is I'm really struggling here. Ten is that, you know what, by God's grace, I'm doing well in this area. So I'm going to ask you in uh, four different areas how you do and grade yourself. Here's the first one. Gathering with other believers in a large corporate setting. How you doing? Give yourself a score between one and ten. And there's going to be a quick quiz, by the way. We're not going to give you ten minutes to think about it. <laughs> Here's the second question. How are you doing with gathering other believers in a smaller personal setting? <laughs> Where you can eat with one another with a sincere heart where I'm being real with somebody. <laughs> they know exactly who I am and I, they know who I am and we're being real with one another and we're gathering around the things of Jesus because we know we're partners together in this thing. How you doing in gathering with other believers in a smaller personal setting? Third question. How you doing with interacting with other believers in those settings? around the things of Jesus. You might say, I'm coming to the large gathering and I come every week, but I know nobody's name and I know nobody's life and I know nobody's heart and nobody knows my name, nobody knows my life and my heart. So what I'm talking, how are you doing with interacting with others? Give yourself a score there. And remember this book is here for those who are willing to read it and apply it. By the way, that's what we're supposed to do when we open up the Bible. I don't know if you knew that, but when we read it, we're supposed to apply it too. Here's the next question. My Christian experience is an everyday experience with other believers. In other words, is the only thing you know of walking with Jesus coming to church on Sunday? Or are you interacting with other believers throughout the week? In whatever context, God allows you to do that to help each other walk with Jesus and carry out his mission. What number would you give yourself? So this is my question to you. As you hear what you hear today, as you evaluate yourself, what is God's next step for you? Take a moment to what is the very next step God would be urging you to do to get your life more in line with the early church as a norm? Take a second. What, what, what's God speaking to you? What's your next step? Not the 10 things you got to do. What's the very next thing you should be doing to walk in obedience to Christ? And finally, share with someone what you feel is the strongest, the weakest, and next step for you. What you find, I'm not talking about your husband or wife, too easy. <laughs> uh, step out beyond that, find somebody else. And we're going to do that right now for a few minutes. And take about two minutes to share with, hey, this is the area I'm strongest in, this is the area I'm weakest in, and this is what I think God wants me to do next. And then about two minutes, give the other person a chance to do that. Uh, and then we're going to come back together and Josh will put us together. So 
get up, find somebody, get to know their name. You're going to actually interact with them around the things of Jesus regarding your life. So this is, yo, yo. I know it's a hard assignment. Other than your mate, 